Welcome, campers. Settle in tight, for tonight you're in for a fright. Welcome, campers, to Friday Night Fright. We are your hosts, as always. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. Time for some stories. Some stories. (laughs) This is getting weird already. (laughs) Full disclosure here, campers, it's 3 a.m. right now as we're recording this. So we're about to get spooky. Yeah, 3 a.m.'s like the witching hour. I mean, yeah. Right? Isn't that it? Yeah. See, I have this this theory about the witching hour. Let's Let's hear your theory. Jump straight into some shit. Okay, so you know how when someone says like, "How long till you get here?" How often is it that someone just goes like five minutes? (laughs) Right. You just like round it. Yeah. Right. Because no one's gonna take the time to go like, "Oh, ETA six minutes twenty three seconds." No, you just say like about five minutes. I mean. Although I have like I have had somebody say GPS says XXXX. Right, that's now, right? Because yeah. it's easy to look down at your middle console and see. But like I think that this whole witching hour bullshit just came from people when people think of the middle of the night, they think three AM. That's like that's about that's Dead roughly center middle, middle of, night. of the night, right? Although, yeah. is it midnight technically? I mean, middle if you're night? some like old, if you're isn't that why it's called that midnight? At- Literally <laughs> middle night. <laughs> yes, yes. But how many people are going to bed at eight p.m.? I have a shit ton of them. It's weird, but people do that. For midnight to be the middle of your night, you'd have to wake up at four a.m. And a lot of people do that too. Yeah, but most people don't. <laughs> I don't. Basically, like, factory workers and those assholes that are posting Instagram pictures at 4 a.m. going with, of, like, the the pool of their sweat underneath their dumbbells. Like, I'm already getting at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I'm, I'm often up at that time, because I've woken up, you know? Yeah. I'm usually still awake at that time. That's crazy to me. Like, this um, is... the. 3 a.m. is extremely late for me to stay up these days. Yeah. As I've gotten to be Um, an old man. That's nice. (laughs) That's nice. I look forward to retirement where, you know, I can go to bed at like 8 p.m. And wake up whenever you feel like it. Exactly. Not have, I mean, yeah, just no like agenda. Nothing, you know, nothing like the year really hard pressed to make sure you achieve the next day. Exactly. 
I mean, at that point, your biggest goal is just staying alive. (laughs) I plan on raising finches. (laughs) You're weird. (laughs) That's my retirement plan. My ideal retirement would be like raising finches in like an old lighthouse. You know, I'm going to raise tadpoles. (laughs) Until they start to like branch off and get legs and then flush them. And then I'm going to raise <laughs> more tadpoles. That's so mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so my witching hour theory. Right, yes, back I, to that. I think, I think when people think of the middle of the night, they think 3 a.m. It's easiest to just round to 3 a.m. So when, they, when something weird happens in the middle of the night, wakes them out of sleep, and they're like, oh, there was some weird rapping, or there was a shadow figure in my room. The next day or the next week when they're telling that story, they're like, it was about 3 a.m. Yeah, about 3 a.m. Yeah. And I think that happened so many times over and over again that people just started associating 3 a.m. with weird shit happening. I often associate 3 a.m. with Matchbox 20. Yes. Yes. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, Heather Mosier the other day about matchbox 20 really how like yeah it was like the first we share that in common with her that she that that was her like first favorite band that was like her first like this is my band that's awesome band yeah yeah which is cool i mean they they you know that first matchbox 20 album was actually really solid yeah it's still it's still good yeah a guy named uh alex melton if you're those out there not familiar with him he actually covered 3 a.m. Um, and did it basically like as if like if Blink wrote 3 a.m. How yeah, that would sound. Really good. Yeah. I just listened to that this morning, actually. Yeah. All of his stuff is super good. Yeah. He's touring with the color Fred. Yep. Fred from Taking Back Sunday, if you're not familiar. Yeah. He actually does a video with with him. They did a song. They did yep. like a country version of Liar together. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's pretty good. I mean, Dude, every, Fred, everything Alex Melton does is incredible, so... Yeah. Fred, and I'm sorry if you're listening to this, Fred, but that guy did not age well. No, he's he's looking, he's looking he old looks these days. Yeah. Yes. That's what I he thought, ne- too. I was watching it this morning, and my wife walked in, and she's like, that guy needs a fucking haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. He would look 20 years younger no, if he, he cut would. off that fucking yeah. long moppy skater hair. Right. Yeah. I think that's... Because he has like a gray beard, but he has like straight brown hair. Right. I think and that's it, the problem. Yeah. yeah. It looks like fucking Otis from The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. If he if he cut his hair, he'd probably look so much younger. Yeah, he'd look fine. Like even the gray beard, like that doesn't matter. It's just something yeah, about like that a... mixture with the long, like that long, like swoopy hair, and uh-huh. the just the gray beard just doesn't mesh well. Yeah, if he, if he had a nice haircut, he'd look like a gracefully aging man in his forties. Yeah, like nothing wrong with that. Right, exactly. It's that I think it's the like oh he's you're still trying to hold on to how you looked when you were 25. <laughs> that's what makes 40 look yeah. so so rough. I mean that's true. But some people can actually pull that off and pull it off well. Yeah, but you got to at least like pull the hair back or do something with it. Like 
If you're still rocking the exact style you had when you were 25, you probably look silly. That's almost always the case. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give you that. Yeah. So, spooky. Spooky yeah. Friday night, frightful frights. That was our original intent here. <laughs> that it was. <laughs> and then the witching hour brought Matchbox 20. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, but uh, yeah, no, I, I understand. I understand your theory. Yeah. And you're probably right, to be honest. But it's just an approximation. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it, like, it probably comes from people pressing for unnecessary details, you know? And they're like, oh, it's the middle of the night and I saw a shadow figure. What time? <laughs> I like, need I to know, know the time. Exactly. Why? Time it just, it it's important for the story. It always. And I think people throw it in, like, once it became a thing, people just throw it in to, like, support, yeah, you know, it being something spooky actually happening. Um, I think a lot of people that say things happened at 3 a.m., it probably happened at, like, 3.45 or at, like, 2.05, and they're like, It's actually, we'll like, 7 a.m. Yeah. They're like, we'll call it 3. It was dark. It was probably 3. 3, give or take <laughs> 4 hours. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Every time we cover a haunting, and it almost always includes some mention of the witching hour, of some, like, things always kicked up during the witching hour, or things like the activity was always the every strongest. Day, every night at 3.15. 3 yeah. Um, every time I see that, and I see it so fucking often. Right. Every time I see it, I roll my eyes, and I'm like, fucking moving on, man. <laughs> like, whatever you say. I don't know, and I'm sure there's going to be people out there that are probably going to bitch and argue about that. Yeah. Which, that's okay. That's fine, man. Prove me wrong. If I'm wrong, and that comes from something older, or like there's some actual significance to that, I'd love to know. According to ancient pagans, it was actually (laughs) the time that they ate their breakfast. Yeah. So we called it the witching hour. I know if I was an ancient pagan. I would definitely be hungry at 3 (laughs) a.m. Probably. (laughs) For some reason, it just makes sense to me. They were probably eating boiled frog legs. Yeah. That some retired guy flushed down the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's what we in the business call a callback. (laughs) (laughs) You're going first tonight. All right. I want to hear your story. I think we've dragged this out uh, long enough. And if you want more of this, let us know. We've got plenty more. <laughs> uh, if you if you like this like dumb banter, definitely go over to our Patreon because the stuff that we post over there, there's a lot more of this. Oh, there there will be. So for tonight, we're uh, we're going to be discussing a story called Mirror Games. Nice. So put on your scaredy pants, sit down with a bowl of popcorn, or whatever you eat. Um, (laughs) We don't want to make you eat popcorn. (laughs) Exactly. Whatever you're in the mood for, get a bowl of it. Whatever you like, sit down, make yourself comfortable, and prepare yourselves. Mirror games. In college, there was a guy on our floor named Steve who was studying evolutionary psych and was constantly conducting different psychological tricks 
and experiments on us. They were all pretty cool and challenged us to think outside the boundaries of our minds. One night he came back with a mirror game. It was similar to other dares and challenges involving mirrors like Bloody Mary or Candyman. Only in this case, the villain that showed up in the reflection was you. Kind of. The game involved perception. Namely, your perception of yourself. From there, it expanded outwardly, encompassing other people and places, and their relation to you. All you needed was yourself, a mirror, and complete concentration. I had a mirror, but it was a long week and all I wanted to do was sleep, so I stayed in. A floor-wide email was sent out inviting everyone to try it in their rooms. The game was called the Jimevu Challenge. Jimevu is a French phrase and translates to being the literal opposite of déjà vu. Whereas the latter, déjà vu, translates to already seen, Jimevu translates to never seen. In a psychological sense, It relates to the phenomenon of experiencing a situation that should be familiar, but is instead foreign and unrecognizable. Seeing things or people that you should know, but for some reason, they appear as strangers or unknowns. Wouldn't jamais vu be, what is seen? I mean, loosely translates to never seen or unfamiliar, yeah. I mean, or... I am seeing. I, I guess in, in in American it'd be jamais vu, but it's jamais vu. Um, right, but like je m'appelle is my name is right. right. But that's that's completely spelled different. My oh, is this it? is J A M A I S. Okay, okay. So yeah, hopefully that kind of clears that up. Okay, I was just like getting a little bit of high school French flowing in my right. head again real quick. And I'm like, Dude, wait I, a minute. I have, I, if I don't say some French word or phrase in a normal day, I've, I've not lived that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that, that didn't make sense to me at first, but yeah. yeah no, I see what you're saying. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Everyone has experienced some form of this in their life. An easy example would be if you've ever been looking for something in your home. After minutes of searching, you finally located in a place you know you checked multiple times, but for some reason, it blended into the surroundings and its familiarity made it invisible. Or temporarily unknown. The Jamais Vu challenge was grounded in this idea. The challenge played with our own perception of who we are, and had very simple directions. That's literally the most frustrating thing a human being could ever experience. <laughs> right? Just saying. I know. It's there's, a pain in the ass. There's nothing that bothers me more than losing things and then finding them in the most obvious fucking uh, places. Dude, mine is always in my pocket. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be looking for my keys or something that I had in my hands, and I'm freaking out. I'm, like, searching everywhere. 
Come to find out, it was in my pocket the whole time. Even Dude. though, like, I'm I'm a hundred percent certain I checked my pockets. Yeah. Nope. Dude, mine is the Apple TV remote. <laughs> Fucking disappears into another dimension at least once a day. Yeah. It just vanishes. And then I end up finding it like on the arm of the couch or like sitting on the stand in front of the TV. Yeah. Oh, somewhere yeah. I know I looked. Another one that's really bad is glasses. Oh yeah. Freaking out, not knowing your where your glasses are and the whole time they've been on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have found them on my own head, like pushed up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. After looking for ten minutes. Yep. I understand that for sure. I I've even spent multiple minutes looking for my phone while holding it. <laughs> like it's in my hand. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. yep. I definitely know that one too. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, I, I understand the, this entirely. Just yesterday. Sorry. I have to share this. Just yesterday I was looking for my phone and I got to the point where I was going to look under the edge of the couch for my phone, right on the floor. And I, Got, I turned on the flashlight on my phone to, to help look you under look the edge of the couch and then realized I was ju- I had just turned on the flashlight on the thing I'm looking for. Yeah. So yeah, ridiculous. No, it's, it's very real. Like, this is a very, very real and common thing that happens. Yeah. Because you're so used to your phone being in your hand that, like, your brain is, it's, like, on two tracks. Exactly. Like, you can't, there's, like, a cognitive dissonance between, like, looking not knowing where the thing is and it being where it always is. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Continue. The challenge played with their own perception of who we are and had very simple directions. You had to be alone in front of a mirror and you had to keep it close to your face. Then you had to stare into your own eyes and say your name repeatedly. The name repetition and eye contact with your reflection allowed you to accelerate the familiarity you had with your name and face. The objective was to say your name so many times, the word no longer made sense to you, while at the same time concentrating on your face so diligently, you no longer recognized it. I wouldn't recommend it. But if you're brave, you can try it. Dude, this sounds like a recipe for a dissociative episode. <laughs> right. It's so weird. It's dude, that's the that's like the scariest mental health thing I've ever heard someone describe. Oh yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Like that feeling where you're standing in the mirror and you don't recognize mm-hmm. who you're looking at. Ugh. It's yeah, that shit is scary. I agree. You'll be surprised with how quickly your name means nothing and your face becomes a stranger's. How the sounds and syllables turn alien and your eyes, nose, and lips morph into an outsider's. The challenge, if done correctly, made you forget who you were. So, in a sense, it shaved you down to your most basic human instincts. It reminded me of a story I once heard from a drama teacher. She had a student who was quiet and reserved and had a hard time breaking out of her shell. The teacher convinced her to do a heavy scene that involved a loud scream at the end. 
The student played the part well, but couldn't manage the scream in the finale. The teacher pushed the student and kept at her, trying to pull out something deeper. Then she did. The student began to scream, a horrific guttural shriek, and she wouldn't stop. She just kept going. The teacher tried to calm her down. The other students tried as well. But it was like a switch had been flicked deep inside the student, and some electrical bolt of emotional fear charged through her. The screams were terrifying. They were animalistic. They sounded far down the evolutionary rabbit hole. The student found something somewhere inside of her that was so unsettling and made several other students throw up. An ambulance eventually arrived and the student was taken away. Even as she was driven off, you could hear her screaming. The teacher never saw or heard of the girl again, which was annoying because I wanted to know more. (laughs) Christ. I always pictured the student in some asylum, probably sedated, her vocal cords numbed down, but still trying to scream. The switch inside of her somehow still stuck in the on position. My roommate Allie told me she was joining the challenge and was doing it next door. I had zero interest in that and fell asleep on the couch. A storm hit that night. I woke up just before midnight from knocks at the door between claps of thunder. The knocks were uneven and strange, and the door was unlocked. I opened it to find Allie. She was frazzled and nervously trembling as she looked in at me. I warmly reached out to wave her in, but she pulled back. Allie looked at me like I was someone she didn't recognize, or know, or trust. She looked back down the hall, which I realized had smoke gathering in the air. I peeked out and saw the smoke coming from a room down the hall. I heard movements and struggling sounds coming from the other rooms. Everything felt off. I reached forward again, warmly and this time Allie was receptive. I put my arm around her and guided her in. She became like a baby under my arm, infant-like as if needing protection. I tried to talk to Allie, but she wasn't speaking right. Her words were coming out in long, strangely connected mumbles. They sounded backwards and upside down, like a stroke having a stroke. Like a stroke having a stroke? Like a stroke having a stroke. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Backwards and upside down. Like a stroke having a stroke. That's a turn of phrase. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I brought Allie to the bathroom and closed the door to give her privacy. She behaved like she didn't want me to leave her, but was unable to speak the words. It was all so bizarre. I felt like I was still sleeping. 
I panicked, wondering if I should call the RA or go straight to calling an ambulance. Then I heard a scream. It was from somewhere on this floor, further down the hall near the rec room. And then the fire alarm went off. And another. And another. But just as soon as they did, I heard three loud individual cracks and the ringing shorted out. I tried calling Steve. I could hear a cell phone ringing somewhere in the hallway. It continued ringing all the way into voicemail. No one answered. I tried again, but nothing. It kept ringing until it stopped. I waited a few minutes until the hallway had been quiet long enough. Then I grabbed a pen-sized can of pepper spray and quietly opened the door and peeked out. It reeked of burned toast. The hall was filled with smoke now and I could barely see the next door. I crept along the wall, passing the closed doors of other students' rooms. Behind some of the doors, there were sounds. Unintelligible mumbles and cries. My plan was to get to Marie's room. She was our RA, and her room was at the far end of the hallway, near the kitchen area. I continued along the hall and passed through the rec room. The TV was on, and an old episode of Jeopardy was playing. Laughlin, one of the guys on our floor, was sitting in front of the TV, staring mindlessly and numbing the same way as Allie. He made me uneasy, and he wasn't acting like the normal guy I would watch shotgunning beers in bathroom stalls. I backed up, deciding to go back to my room, and tried calling Marie instead. I turned back to the hallway in the cloud of smoke. There was a crying sound coming from deep within it. Between the sobs, there were jumbles and backwards words. The same stroke-like cadence. It was a sad, disturbed crying that made me want to run back to my room and bolt the door. The silhouette got closer and turned into Laura, another student. Laura's room was down the hall near the staircase. She was stumbling towards me, her hands cupped out in front of her. She was trying to speak, but crying through it. Laura tripped, falling forwards, her hands out and pleading for some kind of sustenance. I didn't know what to do, so I backed up. And just as I did, a new shadow appeared. It was Steve, and he'd lost his mind. Steve was swinging one of his baseball bats, which was covered in blood. He himself was also covered in blood, and his clothes were ripped and shredded. His eyes were wild, and he was screaming violent jumbles of words. Steve didn't see me, but he saw Laura. He grunted at her and swung the bat viciously. The bat connected with the side of Laura's head, sending her sprawling into a room. Steve followed her in, swinging the bat like he was playing whack-a-mole. 
Laura's screams and cries drowned out and were replaced by the slapping thud of Steve's bat against flesh and bone. Ugh. Yeah, that's Dude, a... this is brutal. Yeah, right? There's like a claustrophobia to this story that I'm really like responding to. <laughs> like all the smoke. Yeah. And the like, she goes one way and can't go that way and turns back and there's more weirdness and like... And then you got She's this kind of like stuck. Right. And then this guy is in here just beating this girl to death. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's just going for whoever he sees at this point. It's like, okay, so I was mildly traumatized as a child from watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries where, and like, I mean it. All right. So, like, there's an episode where uh, they're doing a reenactment of right. this like teenage kid is followed home by some kids that he got into like some kind of conflict with. And they follow him in the scene. They follow him into his house and it just shows him go like run into the bedroom and they run in behind him and the door shuts. And one of them like grabs a baseball bat on the way into the bedroom and you like hear that sound. That, yeah. like, slapping thud sound over and over again. Yeah. And that, like, I had nightmares about that for, like, two years <laughs> after I watched it. Just that, like, noise. Oh, I, I'm not surprised. Like, I mean, as a kid, Unsolved Mysteries was almost, like, scary. Yeah. It, it was it weird. It got genuinely scary yeah. at times. And, like, yeah, that just, like, brought it all back. So thanks for re-triggering my trauma, Ryan. You're welcome. This is called Friday Night Fright for a reason. Yeah. I mean, this this story has given me goosebumps on multiple occasions so far, so... <laughs> well, good. Let's continue. Yeah. I rushed across the doorway and tried to make it down the hall, but Steve heard me and chased me down. Steve got a hold of me two doors down from my own. He had one arm around me and was trying to pull me to the ground. I got a hand free and pulled out my pepper spray. I struggled and fought and managed to press it right into one of his eyes while I was shooting it. Steve screamed and let go of me. I shoved him back and ran through the smoke. I got inside my room and locked the door. He never came to the room, but I heard him crying and hitting the walls as he patrolled the hall. I got a knife from my mini kitchen and went to check on Allie. I found her huddled up in the far end of the bathtub. She reached out to me like a child would its mother. I spent the next hour holding her and rocking her to sleep. Campus and state police arrived and cleared all the rooms. They found us in the bathtub. Allie was still spouting gibberish, but I could speak and told them what I knew. As we were escorted out of our room and down the hall, I saw numerous body bags and rooms in the kitchen. I knew Laura had died, but it didn't hit me until then how much larger this all was. In the end, it turned out that Steve had killed seven students and the RA, Marie. Allie eventually recovered, regaining her memory of self and others. Steve went into an asylum. He's very lucid and normal now as well, 
but he has a strange animal quality to his eyes. Like everything he looks at is prey. Most people would be terrified if they looked in the mirror and what they saw back wasn't their face, but their character. And it's made me wonder what mine would have looked like if I'd done the jamais vu challenge. If I would have been like Steve and fallen into a deep evolutionary well that had supercharged my limbic system. If the lizard tail and my amygdala would have brought me back into infancy or turned me into something dangerous. I'll never know. I gotta be honest, the bathtub scene kind of broke my tension because it reminded me of that horror movie we made when we were kids. (laughs) Home Sweet Home? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it had that scene with Josh sitting in the bathtub with no shirt on, like, rocking back and forth. Yeah, he was, like, laying in, like, the fetal position. Yeah. 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 Man, I I want to find that. I've been looking for it for sure. Like, I'm hoping yeah, I love- I'm hoping I still have it, but I don't even know at this point. Yeah, I'm. That, it was excellent. Yeah, excellently was. terrible. I know. It was so good. <laughs> but yeah, dude that that story that story was great. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a weird one for sure. The like where you're actually describing the steps of the game yeah like i like had chills through that whole section like just the idea of like slowly losing touch with yourself yeah i mean just and it seems so strange that something like that could actually work yeah of course it could. you know but yeah it it definitely can you know if if you if you say and do something so many times, it becomes less and meaningful. less meaningful, right? Yeah. And so, and that's that's where, like, the whole idea of this comes into play, is that saying your name, watching yourself, like, as close, you know, as close as you can to where you can still see all of your features. Yep. But doing so long enough and so many times, it becomes less meaningful. and. More so just, uh, yeah, like, unfamiliar. Well, we have, we, people have a whole sense of self, right? So, right. like, when you break it down to a collection of details, it becomes, you know, it becomes more amorphous. It becomes more nebulous. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. It's like, it becomes distorted. You can't see that hole that you consider you anymore because you're seeing this collection of details that ultimately they make up the hole that you would recognize, but you're focusing on the details so much that you can't, you lose track of the bigger picture. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's like, there's, and there's other things that you can do, especially if you're staring into a mirror long enough that you can start to see like, I mean, it 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 kind of similar in that regard, you know, like your your features become more distorted and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people claim that, you know, you can watch your mirror, your reflection almost as a separate break thing. away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Which that to me is one of the it's it's another one of the creepiest things. Yeah, dude. Like, you know, I mean, whole, I, I have a handful of things that terrify me, 
And that is yeah. absolutely one of them. Don't you don't you not look in the mirror at night like when you're walking by it? I'm I, if I it? like the only yeah, I mean if it's like if there's a mirror in the house or anything I I hate doing that outside of the bathroom, you know, like of course yeah. walking into the bathroom. But of course, every time I walk into any bathroom, I in like a shower curtains closed, I will <laughs> yeah. always look behind it. Doesn't matter where I'm at. Does yeah, I will literally always. Daytime, nighttime, I don't care. Like it's just it's became like a nervous habit at this point, I think. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, it's just it's one of those where you're almost waiting for that off chance or that like one off situation where there's gonna be something there, right? Yeah. It's that was like because my wife has the same fear where right. she has to look behind the, the shower curtain. And when we first got together, that was like one of the things I had to like break her of was not the fear. She still, she still has the fear. She still looks behind it. But like she used to leave her shower curtain open. Yeah. When it wasn't being used, oh, I, I'm I'm not. And I'm like, lie. that's. I was. Oh, that's so bad. I I don't. I'm like, I don't leave it open. But sometimes, yeah. like especially if I'm gonna be in there, I leave yeah. it partially open, and then as I'm leaving, I'll close it. Yeah. Because, yeah, she just left it open all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, this is how you get mold. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't of do. Course. You have to open this. And I yeah. like. It took me months and months of us living together to break her of mm-hmm. leaving the shower curtain open. I, yeah, but, I can always tell like when my little sister has been at my house or been to yeah. visit because in my downstairs bathroom I always see the curtain the shower curtain halfway open because I mean she does the exact same thing yeah it's yeah just, it's it's just one of those weird there's just like I don't know almost paranoia things right yeah definitely I, n- I never got the the shower curtain never got me but the mirror freaks me out yeah fully like I've, i used to have nightmares of like standing in the mirror and then your reflection moves without you mm-hmm. or just that like tiny bit of difference I, or if you're just like you looking you kind of like smirk at the mirror and then it like but it doesn't smirk back it either does it or does it slightly more yeah or as you like you know go to like a straight face it's still smirking yeah. back at you, you oh man yeah Ugh, you're freaking me out dude. right that's it's <laughs> such a uh, i don't like it i don't like it at all <laughs> yeah or just like i would have a nightmare where there was just a, a barely perceivable delay in everything yeah. oh yeah in the mirror. exactly that's like i would turn toward the mirror and in time to see the reflection turn yeah you know what i mean like dude like ugh. that's that that that's one of like yeah, that's one of those. Just, it's so gross. Mm. That's why doppelgangers freak me out so much, dude. Because all those like nightmares about reflections and stuff, doppelganger stories get me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. And a doppelganger is also supposed to be bad. Yeah. Like, it's not supposed to be all, you know, rainbows and juicy no. fruit. <laughs> i'm using that from now on uh you know awesome. i'm just just saying that was a great story man thank you yeah for sure what 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 have you got for us today 
Okay. I'm going to read a story called Supernatural Consequence. Sweet. All right. Larry checked his rearview mirror for the red and blue flashing lights he'd hoped to outrun. He glimpsed a reflection of himself. Weird. Yeah, that was that was literally <laughs> about to just say something. Yeah. Well, Here we he's go. gonna be a doozy. Back in. <laughs> yeah. He glimpsed a reflection of himself. The baseball cap barely shielding his crazed brown eyes and half-grown, scraggly brown beard. The smell of acrid sweat rose off him, like beer mixed with sour cream that had gone bad. The wreck he caused by his drunken driving was miles behind him, but he kept running just in case. He had accidentally swerved into oncoming traffic, and then back into his lane at the last minute, but not before an oncoming car had swerved into another to avoid hitting him. He saw it in his mirror. One of the cars flipped several times and the other landed in the ditch beside the road before exploding. Damn. There was no way anyone survived the wreck. Larry kept driving and saw a turnoff for a campground. He took the U-turn and headed back the other way, entering the camp. There was no one at the station that late, so he got out of the car and forced the mechanical arm up that prevented people like him from entering without paying. He drove to the furthest part of the grounds, passing campfires on his way. The smell of pine and wood smoke came in through the windows, and he hoped no one would remember his truck later. He was just one among dozens, he figured, and he was probably safe here until morning. Most of the campsites were dark, this being a weeknight during the fall. The kids were in school, the parents at work, and everyone except the people he killed an hour ago were asleep. Stop it, he yelled in his head. You don't know that they're dead. They could be in the hospital right now. He came to a fork in the road and decided to go right. The lake was to the left. Hoping this was the last entrance to campsites, he went to the end of the road, where he found three deserted cabins. He took the one on the left, which seemed to be further from the tent sites, even though they were unoccupied too. This cabin was deeper in the woods. He parked and grabbed a blanket from the back of the truck that he kept for emergencies and moving furniture. He went quietly into the tiny cabin, which was unlocked, laid down on one of the three cots, and tossed and turned until he fell blissfully asleep. Larry thought he'd only been asleep for a minute when he sensed someone sitting in the cabin with him. He opened his eyes and saw a man in a white coat seated on a chair that hadn't been in the cabin before. He couldn't make out more details in the dark. Shall I step into the moonlight so you can see me better? The man asked. He stepped into a beam of moonlight that chased the shadows from his charred, bleeding face. Larry jumped off the cot. Who are you? He asked. What happened to you? You, Larry. You happened to me. Earlier tonight, don't you remember? I was in the car that exploded when you drove mine and another car off the road. How did you get here? How did you find me? Shouldn't you be in the hospital? Larry blinked, and he was standing next to the burned man in a hospital room. Larry's muddy work boots and jeans stood in contrast to the sterile environment. I was a doctor, a heart surgeon. Do you recognize the man in the bed? Is that? Yes, it is. One of the greatest American presidents who ever lived, and I was on my way to perform his surgery when you crossed my path. 
There were only a few surgeons in the world who could have who could have repaired this man's heart at his age. Now he'll probably be dead within a week, thanks to you. And that's not even mentioning my other patients who will be put at risk now. Your actions tonight affected many more people than you could have imagined. Can they see us? Larry asked. The former first lady looked at the duo, but then looked away. They can sense that there's something else here, but they can't see us. I feel terrible. What can I do? Larry asked. I can turn myself in. Would that help? Wait until you meet the next two victims. Then you can make an informed decision. This is like a weird, like, Christmas carol thing. Right? It is a bit like that. The other two victims? I don't understand. Oh, wait, this is a dream. Larry smiled. If you want to believe that you're dreaming, that's fine. But let me give you a small token of my appreciation to assure you that you are wide awake. The doctor took a scalpel from his pocket and sliced a long, shallow cut down Larry's arm, tearing the fabric of his flannel shirt in its wake. Ah, that shit hurt. You just cut me. And when you wake up, you'll see the cut and know that you were here with me. With that, Larry was back in the cabin, sitting on his cot, holding his bleeding arm. He was alone. Holy shit, I've really got to lay off the drinking. I'm hallucinating now. He laid down, careful to avoid his wounded arm. Before he could get fully asleep, he saw a woman sitting on the side of his bed. Her head was bashed in on one side, and it was an odd angle. Larry jumped up again. Don't tell me you're the spirit of Christmas present, right? (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't be glib, Larry. We're trying to teach a lesson here. You killed three people tonight, and we're not happy about it. Now shut the fuck up and come with me, the woman said. Honestly, if I had my way, we could have skipped all the dramatics and just sent you straight to hell. Wait, someone could have sent me to hell? Who? God? Not even close. (laughs) This time, Larry was in a suburban home with a woman. She was watching herself make two sack lunches for the blonde-haired little girl and lanky teen boy who were sitting at the breakfast bar, eating breakfast. See that sweet boy? He's going to get to experience the foster care system because of you. I was a single mom. My husband died four years ago in Iraq and left me with the kids. I was an only child, so there are no aunts or uncles or grandparents for him to live with. He's on the honor roll at his middle school and plays soccer. He's a good kid and now his life will be ruined. And my sweet baby girl right there? Well, you'll hear from her later tonight. What a stupid, long-reaching mistake you've made. We are so self-centered in thinking that our actions don't matter, but the effects are infinite, even the small ones. As humans, we are social creatures. You have set in motion the butterfly effect. What do I do? I can't take it back, can I? Wait until you talk to my daughter. And maybe some things will become clear, the woman said. And then she was gone. Larry was back in the cabin, on his dirty cot under his dirty blanket. He decided to take a walk. Maybe that would chase off the dreams. He was rounding a bend in the trail he was taking, using his phone as a flashlight when he saw a little blonde girl with blood trickling from her nose, ears, and eyes. Hello, Larry, she said in a voice that sounded much older than her apparent age. She took his hand. It was cold, like a slab of marble. 
Larry did everything he could to keep from jerking his hand out of the grip of this small, dead thing. Without a word, the forest transformed to a lab where a group of scientists in white coats were performing experiments on plants. This is my future biotech lab, the little girl said. See the woman over there? She pointed to a pretty blonde woman with a ponytail and glasses. That would have been me in 30 years. I'm working on a special technology that will grow fruits and vegetables in an arid climate. Do you understand what that means, Larry? It means that food could grow in a desert. And this... She swept her arm, and they were transported to a third-world village. This is the result. The people in the village lived in straw huts in the desert, but they were happy, and the children were eating carrots and apples. All the vitamin C a body needs to avoid malnutrition or scurvy could be found in two oranges a week, she explained. My technology would have been a breakthrough in solving the world's hunger crisis. See how the children don't have distended stomachs? That's my future work. The ramifications of your actions tonight were worldwide, and all you had to do was call an Uber or a friend for a ride home. But what can I do now? I can't change it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Especially for you. You had your whole life ahead of you. Larry sobbed. Wait until you hear from the next one. Then maybe you'll have an idea. I was just instructed to show you the consequences of your actions, she said. The little girl let go of Larry's hand, and he found himself in the forest again. He ran to his truck, jumped in, and turned it on. He slammed it in reverse and sped out of the campsite. Remembering that reckless driving was what got him in this mess, he slowed down to a respectable 30 miles per hour. It was getting hot in his truck. He turned on the AC, but it didn't seem to work. He just wanted to go home. He'd go straight to the police in the morning and turn himself in. He'd probably get involuntary manslaughter and spend some time in prison, but wasn't it what he deserved? He turned the radio on, and Guns N' Roses was singing their remake of The Devil, introducing himself. A clawed reptilian hand reached for Larry's arm. Larry jumped and swerved the truck off the two-lane road into a ditch and bounced out. It crashed headfirst into a tree. He screamed. You can call me Lucifer. I'm pleased to meet you, Larry. The devil laughed and laughed. Larry screamed and screamed as the truck's engine caught fire and spread up Larry's legs. That's a full ghost revenge story. Not not how I thought that was going to go. No? No. But that's even better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I know, obviously, like, kind of looking at it like a weird um, kind of play on like a Christmas Carol and stuff like that. Like I, I yeah. really like that, you know, it's very cheeky and stuff, but yeah. at the same time, it's also like it would, as, as you're listening to these people and their, what they're yeah. doing and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just a reminder, you know, of like how quickly that can end. Yeah. And even though it's just like, just a little, you know, re- ghost revenge story the same time it also like sends that message it's true i think it's i think it's a nice reminder that like you don't know shit about anyone yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like when you're driving down the interstate and you pass you know 200 people in 20 minutes you don't know anything about their lives like you have no idea like who's doing important research and who's 
you know, raising three kids on their own and who's, right. you know, what, what people are going through and what their lives are like. Like, it's really easy to forget the value of other human beings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without and, a doubt. Yeah. For sure. It's a nice reminder of that, I think. And it is like a fun sort of cheeky story, but it, it has like some serious shit in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Know? For sure. It's um. There's also an interesting bit there about the little girl, because she seems to be in her afterlife aware of her what her potential future was right and sort of like she like became her ultimate self in death yeah right so she died as a little girl but she seemed to be that like 30 something i mean yeah because he's hearing hearing her as a much older person in the in the first place yeah which is an interesting idea I've been thinking about recently, like this this idea that there's like a set timeline for each person, right? Right. But things that veer that cause that to veer off, maybe the that all of those options still exist somewhere. Okay. Right. I it's mean, sort of like a like a multiple dimensions type. I was gonna say yeah. yeah like when we're talking about like you know parallel universes and stuff like that like somebody can go one direction the other person go you know the opposite sure um you know maybe there was one destined path and it's however we choose to perceive that path yeah but But yeah cool little story yeah yeah for sure well this is yeah these are these are both really good agreed a good Friday night fright. Absolutely. Fright. Yours was scarier. Fright night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, well, yeah, I'll have to agree. I'm going to say apples and oranges to make myself feel better. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> that, that's that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, they, they were both very different types of stories. Yeah. But I like it. Agreed. Told well. Told well, sir. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to all of you. Absolutely. Enjoy your night. Come back often. Come as much as you want. (laughs) (laughs) Come freely. (laughs) Come again. Uh, over and over. If <laughs> you can't, <laughs> well, that sucks. <laughs> I'm not getting dragged deeper into this. Let's wrap <laughs> this shit up. I think this is going <laughs> to wrap up this episode of Friday Night Fright. Eight.